This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Ali al-Dati, Adim al-Sifati, Sabi al-Simati, Kabir al-Sha'ab, Jalil al-Qadir al-Rafi'i, Dhikri, Mata'i al-Amri, Jalil al-Burhan, فخيم الاسم غزيل علم وزيل حلم كثير الغفران جميل الثناء جزيل عطاء مجيب الدعاء يعمي من إحسان سليل حساب شديد العقاب أليم العذاب عزيز السلطان ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له في الخلق والأمر ونشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله المبعوث إلى الأسود والأحمر المنعود بشرح الصدر ورفع الذكر وصلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه الذين هم خلاصة العرب العرباء وخير الخلائق بعد الأنبياء أما بعد فيا أيها الناس واحد الله فإن التوحيد رأس الطاعات واتقوا الله فإن التقوى ملاف الحسنات وعليكم بالسنة فإن السنة تهدي إلى الإطاعة ومن أطاع الله ورسوله فقد رشد واهتدى وإياكم والبدعة فإن البدعة تهدي إلى المعصية ومن يعصلها ورسوله فقد ضل فقد ضل وغوى وعليكم بالإحسان فإن الله يحب المحسنين ودعوه فإنه مجيب الداعين واستغفروه يمددكم بأموال وبنين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إنما يعبد مساجد الله من آمن بالله واليوم الآخر وأقام الصلاة وآت الزكاة ولم يخشى إلا الله فعسى أولئك أن يكونوا من المهتدين At the time of the Prophet وسلم, there was a tribe that had accepted Islam that had embraced the faith by the name of Banu Salima and I'll talk a little bit more about their virtues in, later on in the khutbah but this was a people, this was a tribe that had accepted Islam and they had fully embraced the faith and the religion. There was a challenge that they faced. The challenge to them was that they lived a little bit of distance from the masjid of the Prophet Not considering modern means of transportation, heavily having to rely upon foot travel, or at the very most maybe animals, they lived at a little bit of a distance from the masjid, which made it difficult, made it cumbersome for them to frequent and regular the masjid, regularly attend the masjid five times a day. Particularly for Salat al-Isha, Salat al-Fajr, the, the prayers that were at the time of darkness, at the time of night, it was very challenging for them. They decided as a tribe, this is a testament to their convictions, they decided as an entire tribe to pick up and to move closer to the masjid of the Prophet there was land that was available closer to the masjid of the Prophet If the brothers can inshallah move up and move closer in, it's already starting to fill up in the back, let's try to accommodate everyone. At the time of the Prophet there was some land that was still available near the masjid of the Prophet So they decided they would pick up as an entire tribe and move closer to the masjid of the Prophet no matter the inconvenience or difficulty that might cause. The Prophet of Allah came to know about this intention that they had. The Prophet summoned them and said, Balagani, Annakum 
تريدون أن تنتقلوا قرب المسجد. He said that the news has reached me that you intend, all of y'all, y'all intend to move closer to the masjid. And they said, نعم يا رسول الله قد أردنا ذلك. They said, absolutely, O Messenger of God. That's exactly what we intend to do. The Prophet ﷺ responded to them. And these words of the Prophet ﷺ are authenticated, mentioned in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari. These words of the Prophet ﷺ have lived on and carried on for 1400 years and have reached us today and will live on long after we are gone. The Prophet ﷺ left lasting advice. And he said something very interesting, very thought-provoking. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ told him, Bani Salima. Bani Salima. O tribe of Banu Salima. Diyarakum. Diyarakum. He said, stay where you live. Altimu diyarakum. لا تتركوا دياركم Don't leave your home, stay where you live Hold on to your residence عليكم بدياركم تكتبوا آثاركم Your footsteps are written down for you as reward In an extended narration of the hadith The Prophet ﷺ actually told him إِنَّ بِكُلِّ خَطْوَةٍ حَسَنًا Or إِنَّ بِكُلِّ خَطْوَةٍ دَرَجًا That for every step that you take You receive a reward Or you receive a higher stage in paradise so stay where you live. Now the reason why I bring this up is it's the first and foremost thing I'd like to address and talk about is we all understand the importance and the reality of what the masjid is. But a reminder never hurt anyone. A reminder only benefits us. It can only help, it can only benefit. So I'd like to remind myself here what the masjid actually is. There's a narration from the Prophet of Allah narrated by Ibn Abbas that is mentioned in the book of Tabarani where the Prophet of Allah says, Al-Masajidu Buyutullahi Fil Al. Al-Masajidu Buyutullahi Fil Al. The masajid are the houses of God on the face of this earth. So masjid just isn't a masjid. Masjid literally means a place where you do sajda, a place where you put your face on the ground before Allah. But that's not all that it is. A masjid is the house of God. It is sacred. It is sanctified by Allah and His Messenger. That the masajid belong to God. They belong to Allah. So don't you dare ever call out to anyone else in the masjid. So they are very sacred places. They are very special places. These are the houses of Allah. There's a narration, that same narration that I mentioned, goes on to say that the Prophet of Allah says, That the masajid, they, they shine. They glow to the inhabitants of the, of the heavens. Just like the stars in the sky, shine and glow for the people living on the earth. You know at night when you step outside and you look up into the sky and the stars are, the stars are shining and brilliant and visible in the sky, the masajid on the earth shine like that unto the people of the heavens, the inhabitants of the heavens. That's what these masajid are. The masajid are the houses of Allah, places of worship. Stars, the glowing places, the blessed places on the face of this earth. The masajid are places where we go to receive the blessings of Allah. 
peace and tranquility, safety, guaranteed from Allah, that is found here at the Masajid. Masajid are very, very blessed places. The Prophet of Allah tells us that a prayer that I pray in my home, or I pray in my store, or I pray wherever I may be, and Alhamdulillah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me tawfiq, I pray properly, and inshallah it's accepted by Allah. But if that same prayer I was to offer it in the masjid, I would get 25 times the reward of that. Another narration says I would get 27 times the reward of that by praying it here in the masjid. That's what the masjid is. It's a very, very blessed place. <laughs> on the day of judgment, on the day of judgment, and this is gonna be a little bit sobering for us, but it's, it's helpful. On the day of judgment, there will be very severe circumstances. There will be hardship like humanity has never seen before. May Allah protect us all on that day. But it will be hardship on that day. And one of the many hardships on that day is that there will be darkness. Humanity will be plunged into darkness. People will not be able to see where they're going. And it will be frightening. More frightening than anything we've ever experienced in this life. But there will be people on that day. And the Qur'an speaks about these people. There will be people who will be moving swiftly. Everybody else will see these people flashing by them. <coughs> they will be the envy of people, of humanity on the day of judgment. And they will be moving swiftly. And there will be a light, a nur. And Allah says it will be their light. It will belong to them. Nuruhum yasa'abayna aydihim. The light will be moving in front of them. Will be aymanihim. And that light will be on the right of them. And it will be guiding them and moving them and protecting them. Lighting the way for them as they move along. Now where did they get that light? The Qur'an tells us, فَلْتَمِسُونَ uh, Go back to the life of the world. فَلْتَمِسُونَ فَلْتَمِسُونَ Go back to the life of the world and go find your light over there. That's where you find the light is in the life of the previous the previous life, the life of this world, the dunya. Now where and how is that light achieved in this life, in this world so that we can have light on the day of judgment? A hadith of the Prophet ﷺ explains this. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ says, Bashiru. Bashiru. He says, congratulate. Congratulate. Congratulate who? Bashirul Mashayin. Congratulate those people who would regularly, frequently walk in al-masajidi to the houses of God, fi in the darknesses of night. In the darkness of night, those people who would regularly, frequently go to the masjid, congratulate them. What will they have on the day of judgment? That they will have a complete light on the day. That light on the Day of Judgment is promised to those people who would come to the masjid regardless of the circumstances, in spite of their being difficult. They would come to the masjid. That's what these masajid are. That's how blessed these places are. And we all understand that. We all realize that, we all understand that. But now going back to what I was talking about before. These people of Banu Salima, for these obvious reasons that we've just mentioned here, these people of Banu Salima want to move closer to the masjid. They want to be close to the masjid. They want to be able to come and go frequently. 
for obvious reason, as we just talked about. The Prophet of Allah says, stay where you live. Don't move closer. Stay where you live. You, the reward is multiplied according to whatever sacrifice you are investing into this noble act, this noble endeavor. Why did he not tell them to move closer to the masjid? This, this attack seems so logical. To move closer to the masjid. We all talk about it. Man, if I live next door to the masjid, if only I live next door to the masjid, I wish I lived next door to the masjid. That seems such a logical thing to do. It's actually considered a very admirable thing. Oh, mashallah, did you hear about that brother? He built his house right next door to the masjid. Mashallah, mashallah. Tabarakallah. Seems like such a good thing to do, such a noble thing to do. Why is the Prophet of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, telling believers, firm, solid believers, not hypocrites, the people of Banu Salim have great virtues, why is the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa telling them not to move closer to the masjid? Because the words of the Prophet sallallahu were meant to live on for centuries and generations and millennia afterwards as guidance for this ummah. And the Prophet sallallahu was cautioning us, he was instructing us, he was teaching us to to think beyond the surface and to understand the situation. That what gets in the way of coming to the masjid or not coming to the masjid is not solely physical proximity. That's superficial thinking. You can move closer to the masjid and still not come to the masjid if it's not a priority for you. I actually just came back from Umrah alhamdulillah. I was speaking over there, I got to meet um, a family MashaAllah, they've lived there in Mecca for 40 years. And all their kids were born and raised there. They all grew up there. And I was talking to their son, young man. And I was talking to them. And these were very, very good boys. MashaAllah, I was very happy to speak to them. They were doing Umrah in Ramadan. And they were coming to the masjid to pray every single day. And I got to talk to them. And I started to kind of talk to them. You know, when you're in this line of work, it's, it's, you have some baggage. Wherever you go, you can't turn it off. You're constantly in observation mode. You're constantly trying to understand what's going on with the Ummah. So I was just talking to them, what's it like to grow up in Mecca to Al-Karama? What's it like to grow up in the blessed city of Mecca? And I started to talk to them about their company and the other kids and things like that. And they told me that the vast, overwhelming majority of young guys that they grew up with, all their friends and their schoolmates and their classmates, and the kids who live in their neighborhood, he goes, most of them have been born and raised there in the city of Mecca and have never stepped foot in the haram. Shocking, isn't it? We spend tens of thousands of dollars we planned for years and years and decades. My parents planned for 30 years to go for Hajj before they were able to. So we planned for decades, saved tens of thousands of dollars to be able to visit there. And it's, I can't fathom how somebody could live a five minute walk and never have to. Not that they didn't do Umrah. Not that they don't pray Taraweeh there. They have never stepped foot inside of the and so we realized I, at that moment, at that time, the words of the Messenger of Allah were ringing through my head, were echoing in my head. Then he said, no, 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 don't fall into the superficial trap. We'll just move closer and then alhamdulillah, everything will take care of itself. No, no, no. You live, you stay where you live. Stay where you're at. Keep putting in the work though. Have your heart and your mind in the right place. Let this place have value to you. 
and understand why you need to go and what is at stake for going. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ gave them this advice. Because we have to understand what's at stake for us in going to the masjid. Salah can be prayed anywhere. The Prophet ﷺ said, جُعِلَتْنِ الْأَرْضُ مَسْجِدًا وَطُهُورًا The Prophet ﷺ said, as a gift to the Prophet ﷺ and the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ, the entire earth has been made a masjid. We can pray salah anywhere as long as it's clean, we can face towards the qibla and we can pray anywhere we're at. That's a gift from Allah. But we still gotta make time, we still gotta put in effort to come to the house of Allah. That was something we did throughout the month of Ramadan, we gotta keep that going. What's at stake? Let's talk about what's at stake. The ayah that I quoted at the beginning of the khutbah, Those people are fit to attend to the houses of God, to the masajid of Allah. Those people who believe in Allah. And those people who believe in the last final day, the day of judgment, the day of reckoning, the day of retribution, the day of accountability, the day we have to stand before God and answer for how we lived our lives. And those people who established the prayer, that it didn't matter where they were at, what was going on with them, what was occurring with them at that point in time in their day or in their life, they knew it is now time for me to stand before Allah and they would step aside and pray to Allah. They not only were cognizant and aware of Allah and had a relationship with Allah on a daily basis, but they were also conscious of what was going on with their fellow man. They were aware of their communities and their societies. They knew what was going on. They did not turn a blind eye to the suffering of, of people within their own communities, but they were aware of who is financially struggling, who is, who is poor, who is needy in their communities. And then they did something about it. They gave charity and they contributed and they tried to help those people who were less fortunate in their communities. And in following this path of believing in Allah, living life with the consciousness and awareness that the day of judgment is coming and I'm gonna answer for how I live my life. And then they had a relationship with Allah on a daily basis. And they were conscious and aware of the suffering and the plight of their fellow man, their fellow human beings. They knew that challenges and difficulties would come. It wouldn't be a walk in the park. There would be challenges, there would be resistance. There would be trouble at some times. But they feared no one but Allah. They didn't, they didn't worry about dealing with any hardship. They knew what they had to do and they were willing to do what they had to do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it is very, very hopeful that these people will be rightly guided by Allah. These people will be taken care of by Allah. And Allah will guide them through life and into the life of the hereafter for eternal salvation and eternal bliss and success in the hereafter. Now there's two ways to understand this ayah. One way to understand this ayah is that the people with these qualities are the people who are fit, who are suited to attend the masjid, who qualify to attend the masjid. But the mufassirun and the scholars and the sahaba even, radiallahu anhu tell us, this is meant to be understood the other way around as well. That when you attend the masjid, these are the qualities that you will develop by attending the masjid. 
When you frequently, regularly attend the masjid, in spite of all of my issues, I keep coming back to the house of Allah, these are the qualities that I will start to see manifest within myself. My iman will become stronger in Allah. My faith in the day of judgment will become stronger. My prayer will become stronger. I will become more conscious of the suffering and the plight of my fellow man. I will become more stronger in my resolve to obey, to obey Allah no matter what the challenges may be. And Allah will continue to light the way and will continue to guide me. This is what's at stake. This is the incentive. This is why we cannot shun the masjid from our daily lives. We have to come. We have to be here. Now I talked about how the Prophet ﷺ told the people of Banu Salima, don't just physically move closer, but remember why you come and then keep coming. Let's talk about some of the natural challenges. What we do have to overcome in order to keep coming to the masjid. Physical proximity may or may not be a challenge based on what we just learned. But what are definitely challenges which prevent us, whether we live close or far from the masjid, that we have to learn to work through, that we have to manage. Number one, most common issue, most common obstacle in coming to the masjid is work. Brother, I'm very busy. I work a full-time job. Economy stuff. I work two jobs. It's very, very tough. It's very difficult. And I understand that it's a legitimate struggle for many people. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for them. Our hearts go out to those brothers and sisters who are working hard, trying to live an honorable, dignified life, and are just struggling. But for those of us who conveniently may use work as an excuse, we have to look in the mirror and we have to be real with ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with Allah. I can make time. If I make 10 minutes to pray, I can add on an extra 10 minutes to at least come to the masjid at least once a day, can't I? It's the house of Allah. Doesn't Allah deserve that much from me? He's given me everything that I have. This job that is so amazing that I'm using as an excuse to be far from the house of Allah, shouldn't I in turn be more grateful to Allah for that job that He's given me and make extra time for Allah? And I'll even talk about even if your job is very demanding and it's very difficult, I'll even be very honest with you, brutally honest with you, if the motivation's there, if the intention is there, where there's a will, there's a way. I know of brothers and sisters who have very difficult work situations. They can't get off at the actual time of prayer to be able to come pray salah in the, in congregation in the masjid. You know what they still do? Like Dohar is at 1.30 p.m. They're working at that time. Their boss is very strict. Their lunch break is from 11 to 12. No ifs, ands, and buts. I'm not accommodating you. Lunch break is from 11 to 12. You cannot go at 1.30. So what did I do? I know brothers and sisters who between the hours of 11 and 12, even though there's no salah at that time, even though there's no congregation at that time, during their lunch break, instead of just going and sitting at a restaurant and laughing and joking and talking with people, instead of going and sitting at Starbucks and wasting an entire hour, they will use that lunch break of one hour to come to the masjid. You'll see them. Walk into the masjid at random hours between the times of prayer, and you'll see one, two, three, four, five people quietly in a corner, praying on their own. One of my teachers actually said, he said, those are the awliya of our time. Because no matter what the challenges, what the struggle may be, look at that. That person says, I know there's not a salah at this time, but I just cannot go a single day without presenting myself in the house of God and saying, Ya Allah, I came. 
Oh Allah, I showed up. Oh Allah, I'm trying my best. That's sincerity. So if we want to come to the masjid, we want to have a relationship with the house of Allah, we want to be a guest in the house of Allah, if somebody famous invited us to our house, how honored do we feel? At Eid, if we get invited to some big Dr. Saab's house, like, mashallah, alhamdulillah, I'm gonna put on something nice, just conveniently inform everybody, oh, I'm really busy, I have to go to his house today. Like informing him even though he didn't ask you, why? Because you're proud of that. I'm going to his house for Eid. Coming to the house of Allah. So work is a challenge, but it can't be overcome if we want to. Another challenge, an obstacle in attending the masjid, frequenting the house of God, is oftentimes family. That a lot of times there's a struggle in terms of family. I gotta spend, I work so much, I gotta, when I finally get off of work, I gotta spend time with my kids, I gotta spend time with my family. I gotta give some time to my wife, I gotta give some time to my kids. And that's a legitimate concern. Very legitimate in our times. Right now, currently, globally, nationally, and even in the Muslim community, we have a crisis of family going on. We have a crisis of family going on. Homes are on fire. Families are crumbling. The foundation of the institution of family is crumbling before our very eyes. So somebody who is that focused on their family, I got nothing but love for that person. I congratulate that person for being sensible in a time of senselessness. But at the same time, we can manage this situation better. We, can, we need to create a culture within our homes and our families. And we need to create an environment, an atmosphere in our masajid, in our communities, where quality family time can include, can involve coming to the house of Allah. That needs to happen. That needs to happen. Otherwise we force people to choose between one or the other. Just like as families, we go out to eat together, we go to the mall together, we go to the park or the lake together, we go to Six Flags together. Just like as families, we go out for recreation or entertainment together. As families, we need to be able to go to the masjid and pray together. And that's going to require us focusing on teaching our families this. And it's also going to require us as a community to create an environment and an atmosphere and a mentality and attitude that allows and accommodates families to be able to come to the masjid and be in the masjid so that this can be a place that is part of the family activity. It is part of the family bonding experience. Thirdly, another issue that oftentimes gets in the way of us attending to, going to the masjid, are social issues. I like him, I don't like him. She said this, he said that. He does this, he does that. I will be very blunt for just a second and I apologize in advance and may Allah forgive me. May Allah forgive me. But very honestly, that shouldn't matter. Who's there and who's not there? Nobody cares. That should not matter to me. Whether I like that person or not, that's irrelevant. We're talking about coming to the house of Allah, to pray to Allah, to make dua to Allah, to remember Allah, to read the book of Allah. I only see one consistent thing that should matter, that should factor into my decision of going or not going, and that is Allah. That's it. I'm here for Allah. Who else is there? Not there is irrelevant to me. 
And more often than not, that's a sign of a disease of the heart. That I'm so set, I'm so set on hating someone, having animosity towards a Muslim brother or sister, that I will let that prevent me from coming to the house of Allah. That's a problem. I need to remedy and fix that problem by coming to the house of Allah. Stepping on my ego, on my nafs, and coming to the house of Allah, and humbling myself before Allah, putting my face on the ground and saying, Ya Allah, I'm here for you. Cleanse my heart, Ya Allah. That is a me problem. And I need to fix that. And lastly, as an obstacle or a challenge of coming to the masjid oftentimes, is ideological conflict or being very opinionated about issues within the religion. He doesn't conform to my ideals of Islam and they don't practice Islam the way I understand it and this and that, all these types of issues. Again, I'll be very... You know, these issues are things that have to be resolved, they have to be addressed. This is a topic and an issue in and of itself. Sheikh Nadim, the Imam of this community in Masjid, is much more better suited and qualified to be addressing these, so I won't overstep my boundaries and talk about that. But I will say this much. I will say this much. That once again, that cannot and should not factor into my decision for coming to the Masjid. That is the peak of arrogance. That is the peak, the pinnacle of conceit and arrogance. My opinion in regards to something is so paramount, so important to me, that I will let that prevent me from coming and standing amongst the ummah, in the congregation, in the jama'ah, and praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is true misfortune. That is true misfortune. We should never ever let that factor in. But we need to understand why we are here. I'm here to pray to Allah, the one that created me, feeds me, sustains me, provides for me, maintains me, cares for me, guides me, protects me, has given me everything that I have. The things I realize and the things I don't realize. How dare I let anything get in the way of me coming to the house of Allah and submitting myself before Allah. It's a sad, sad shame. It's a terrible, terrible thing. So we need to understand, we need to keep coming to the masjid. Regardless of what's going on. Regardless of what, uh, what other obstacles there may be, I need to understand what my motivation for coming is, and that is that relationship with Allah. The last note that I will mention here, this is advice and counsel for me and everyone else who might struggle in coming to the masjid. Especially that Ramadan's been over now for five days, and obviously we've seen the numbers kind of dwindling in the masjid. <coughs> So for me and everybody else who might struggle in going to the masjid, this is advice and counsel for me and for all my brothers and sisters who might struggle in going to the masjid. But I will offer one last reminder, humble advice to those brothers and sisters who might be more regular in attending the masjid. MashaAllah, the punctual brothers and sisters who are in the masjid on a daily basis, every single day. We have to understand if we are regularly in the masjid, we are the custodians, the servants of the house of God. We are the custodians, the servants, the janitors of the masjid. That's all we are. That's all we are. We're not in charge. We're not the boss. This is not our house. This is the house of Allah. And we have to be very clear about it. And our job is to make the house of Allah as welcoming and as open as possible for all the creation of Allah, for all the servants of God to be able to come here and pray. 
I need to very, very seriously check myself. Have I ever been an obstacle in anyone coming to the masjid, the house of Allah? If I have, may Allah forgive me. I need to change my ways because that is something I will be held accountable for before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of death. <coughs> This was not mine to run. I was nobody to push someone away or to bring somebody closer. I am simply a servant here. I have to make this as opening and as welcome as possible and come here to pray myself and pray for my own salvation. <coughs> And we have to understand that. It's the house of Allah. And our job is to make it as open and as accommodating. The stories go on and on and on. Time doesn't allow for it. A Bedouin comes and urinates in the masjid. Can you imagine that? We told the story so much, we become desensitized to it. I want you to try to imagine, have a visual of a man right now, walking into the masjid, standing right there and urinating in the masjid. Get that visual in your head. And then think about how shocking that is. How could the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi We can have rules. He told them, listen sir, it's not appropriate. We can't do that in Russia. We can have rules. But look how about how he went about implementing those rules. With kindness, with love, with generosity. <laughs>